I'm scared of who? Of Le Habitant. Le Habitant. They look good. I'm scared of Le Habitant. You should be. Why? Their offense is okay. nuts. Who did they and play? And Carey Price. Who did they play? What are you talking about who they played? They played Vancouver. Yeah, who else? In Toronto. Yeah, and what happened in that Toronto game? Dave. They lost. They lost. Okay. Montreal's good. In OT. But. Relax. That was only the first game, Dave. You beat Vancouver, who lost a bunch of key guys. Oh, well, c'est la vie. And they have no goaltending. I'll be, let's be honest. They look good. And That's all I'm going to say. You're just saying that pissed me off. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode number five of the Battle of Ontario podcast. I am your host, David Celebre, as always, alongside my co-host, Alicia Scodelaire. And we thank you very much for joining us. We're going to dive right into it with our Back to the Drawing Board segment, where we talk about the happenings in and around the NHL from our last recording up until this recording and what we have missed. Lish. Get right to it. Dive right into it. All what right. What are we talking about here? Big blockbuster trade between the Winnipeg Jets and the Columbus Blue Jackets that happened on Saturday morning. Huge trade. There was a lot of rumors of going around on Friday, circling with Pierre-Luc Dubois being traded, and that did happen. Mm-hmm. So the Winnipeg Jets acquired forward Pierre-Luc Dubois and a 2022 third-round pick in exchange for forward Patrick Liney and forward Jack Rosovic. Big, big deal. Uh, This was bound to happen. As you know or have been following hockey, a lot of rumblings in and around the Columbus Blue Jackets and Pierre-Luc Dubois. This could date back to the playoff bubble where he had his issues with John Tortorella as seen in some of the highlights. And this was a trade that I feel needed needed to happen with both teams. I agree. I think we can agree that Winnipeg did win this trade. Oh, 100% they won this trade. I think Pierre-Luc Dubois is the better player right now. He is a centerman as well, so that adds to your needs as a team. Uh, It's funny that this is the second overall and third overall draft pick in the Austin Matthews draft. Nice little swap. Let's throw that in there. (laughs) You had to throw it in there. AM 34. This is, again, this is a better trade for Winnipeg, but I think Columbus is happy to have this all over with resolved and there was a lot of drama going back and forth between you know uh dubois and the columbus blue jackets and patrick line and the winnipeg jets well what's funny is that we hear a lot about dubois and his uh his his relationship with the coaching staff or the general manager whoever it was you have uh the evidence there of say the last game he's played as a blue jacket where he played three minutes and 55 seconds as a centerman Number one center in the NHL, and you play three minutes, 55 seconds for a whole game. That's horrible. Something's wrong. Yeah. So, obviously, either the GM told him, you know, stop playing this guy. We're going to trade him. Or just John Tortorella felt that his play wasn't good enough. Uh, Tortorella is known to bench players. So, while it wasn't a surprise, I guess the timing of it was interesting. Uh, we know that on TSN, they, uh, they had expected that a trade was imminent. And they were right. On Saturday morning, like you said, the trade went through. 
What's interesting to note is that you don't hear a lot about the Line situation. Patrick Line was supposed to be a bona fide number one goal scorer for this Winnipeg Jets team. Now, he has scored his fair share of goals, but he's been pretty inconsistent in terms of his productivity and contribution to the team. While you can argue that he was a valuable part of that team, a lot of fans may agree that he could have offered more in terms of his goal production. And I thought that stuff was happening behind the scenes with Patrick Laine and the was. team. I Definitely know that uh, Wheeler came out with a statement stating, you know, they didn't treat Laine the way that they should have. Which they regretted surprising. it. Him, Shifley, and a couple others. It's surprising. I always felt maybe Wheeler has kind of that... Guilt? Well, he definitely has that guilt. But um, I, th- I thought that Wheeler, guys like Wheeler and Shifley are, are bona fide professionals where they wouldn't do stuff like that. Uh, Line had an interview with a Finnish newspaper in where he said that they would. he did feel mistreated by them. Uh, there were reports that they would th- literally throw sand at his feet. Oh, my on God. The ice. No way. <laughs> yeah. And he would. That was their way of sort of hazing them or hazing Patrick Line. And. You know, with hazing is obviously a sensitive word nowadays, but regardless, call him soft, call the situation soft. This is still your second overall pick, and I think the last thing you want to do is try to drive him out of there or put him in an uncomfortable situation where he's not going to be able to perform to the best of his Which ability. clearly was a factor. And I, him I think it was him. a fact, but it, it, it's, is it the reason why Line A didn't play so well? No. I don't think so. I think he was just still a lot of pressure being second overall, and maybe he wasn't as prepared to handle it as other players were. Hint, hint. Mr. Matthews. Regardless, that turtleneck, that white turtleneck he wears, oh, yeah, tur- <laughs> is going to be switched to a navy blue one for Columbus. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we think Winnipeg won the trade. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how well Dubois fits in with that team and how well Line fits with that team. But we'll see when that happens. Other piece of news in and around the NHL, uh, COVID-related, uh, there was a big story out of Washington. Washington Capitals were fined $100,000 uh, for their outbreak of COVID and not covering it properly. Uh, basically, to get into it a little bit more, uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov, Alex Ovechkin, Samsonov, and the goaltender Samsonov, the young goaltender, and Orlov were all staying in the same room. To, well, they're not staying in the same room together. They're not. They were visiting each other in someone's room when they weren't supposed to without masks. That is a big no-no for today's protocols. Uh, however you want to look at it, that's the rule, and they obviously broke the rule. They are required to sit out a week, 10 days, I should say. They're required to sit out 10 days, which is four games for the Washington Capitals. So the Capitals don't have those players for four games. Little mistakes like this is going to kill a team. In a 56-game season. Yes. So you better follow the rules. And it's no killing how, my fantasy, Dave. It's <laughs> You have Ovi? <laughs> no, I have Samson off. Oh, Samson off. <laughs> well, I mean, picking him is going to kill your fantasy either way, whether he's playing oh, or not. Okay. So <laughs> the issue... Uh, that kind of arises with this situation is it's very confusing to understand how players can be side by side, each other on a bench and on the ice, but when they go to their hotel room, even though they're not seeing anyone else other than the players that they play with, that they change in the locker room with, that they shower with in the lo- those locker rooms, they cannot be in the same hotel room together. That is basically the rule. I think what it is with what's going on with this in the NHL and the Washington Capitals or however you want to look at it, I feel like the league is almost so worried about the public perception 
and keeping players safe, which is very important, but it's not as much keeping players safe as, as the public perceives them, how they're keeping them safe. It feels like no one has any clue how to address the situation or what goes on in the game or outside of it because, as you know, if you've ever played hockey, not only on the ice are you close contact with players, on that bench as well you're with you're in close contact with players. And you don't choose who you sit beside on the bench. You can't control who you sit with. So I don't know why it's such a big deal that inside the hotel room, because they're already together, they're changing together, they're showering together inside the locker room, they can't go into a different hotel room. Because the situation is so sensitive, no one really knows what's going on. So they're trying to cover all bases possible, even though it kind of doesn't make sense that you're able to be side-by-side side in close contact with someone on the bench, but when you go back to your team hotel room, you're not allowed to be in contact And that's what I just don't get. Mm-hmm. They're on the ice together. They're fighting. They're spitting on the ice. Like, there's stuff going on between the, the opposite team. There's a lot of breathing right? in close contact going so on. So for them to catch it because they were visiting each other, something's a bit fishy there to me. They did get penalized, um, the team, really heavily for it. And a lot of backlash. A lot of backlash happening. So we'll see how they come up with it. I know Ovi's wife wasn't too pleased about the situation. Her statement was pretty big. They, she mentioned something about the Ovi and other players having uh, antibodies for the virus and is a reason why they don't, they haven't contracted the virus yet. I don't want to get into the science of it. I mean, if she's saying that, she must have some kind of, doctor or proof that this is actually the case on the scientific spectrum we don't know what this virus is capable of yet which is why the governments all around the world still haven't figured out how to control or contain this virus it's very very difficult to understand how this virus works so it's almost better to just play it safe drop the hammer where necessary and punish those players that don't follow protocol Because another thing, we talk about public perception. You are a professional league that the public views, and you need to be responsible and show that responsibility. And I don't think they want another another outbreak from the NBA. Like the NBA, sorry. No, and they've already had Dallas and Carolina go through their own outbreaks. Dallas has played two games since we're recording this podcast. And Carolina is taking the next three games off. They're required to play 52 games in the next 103 days which almost works out to a game every other day. So they're going to have very little time to practice because of this COVID situation. So if you don't follow protocol, not only are you putting yourself at risk, you're putting your team at risk. Exactly. We are now going to move forward with our ever so popular Battle of Ontario segment where we recap the events surrounding the Ottawa Senators and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Obviously, our favorite teams. Mine is the Leafs. Ottawa is Alicia's. I hate Ottawa. She hates Toronto. (laughs) We're going to start with the Ottawa Senators. What a goal horn. My ears are bleeding. Uh, Alicia's going to tell us about the Ottawa Senators and what happened. Yeah, let me dive right into it. So, Ottawa had a three-game series with the Winnipeg Jets. Our overall record against them was one OT loss. And two losses. Oof. It was a terrible week for us. That was a, the there Senators was, had a rough. They, we had a rough week. There was a lot of things I point out that I was not impressed with. I'm going to start off with DJ Smith. Your coach. My coach Your of the coach Ottawa Senators. And our scraps of an assistant coach from the uh, Babcock era. Oh, God. Enjoy it. Because <laughs> we didn't. Thanks, Dave. I did not like the lines he put together at all. 
Who was that first line that he had in those first The first line years? was great. The first line was really good. We had Brady, we had Norris, and Batherson. They performed, and they remind me of the young Jason Spezza, Alfie, and Heatley line. It's funny because guys like Norris and Batherson, we all know what Kachuk could bring. Um, those guys have the potential to be uh, the future of your team. And obviously, they have a long way to go, but especially a guy like Norris. I mean, you can see him really contributing to that team for the long run. Yeah. So nothing wrong with that first line. Nothing wrong. It just game one, we came out flying. We yep. played so well. And yep. then at the end of the third period, we went into overtime against the Jets. And DJ Smith decides to put Anisimov on. Now, this Anisimov character you guys have. I don't know. He's been in the league for a while. And I feel like coaches do this too much where he's not that much of a proven player in terms of his skill level or his his success. He is a proven vet because he's been in and around the league. Is it because he's a vet that he puts him out in those more... I think so. I think DJ just loves his style of play. He mentioned it a lot during training camp that he has been the most impressed by Nisimov by his style of play. But to me, it's not showing. A lot of the fans agree that he should have not have been on the three-on-three. The thing that I don't like about it is, again, you're giving a vet a chance, but he's not really proving his way on the team. Or you have an opportunity to get your young guys used to playing in those pressure situations. And that's what I wanted to see. It's time for these young prospects to play. Give them 20 minutes, 20 plus exactly. minutes a night. Let, tire them out. Tire them out. They need to I learn. Mean, they need to learn, and they need to learn how to lose, obviously, because they will lose some games this year. But at least they're learning while it's okay to lose this year. I mean, the Leafs went through it in the mid-2010s where they were not a successful team, even in the early 2000s. So you threw those young players out there, and you had to get them alchemated with the, the league and how it works. Look at Morgan Riley. Morgan Riley didn't have a successful season up until, well, a successful team season up until the Matthews, Marner, Nylander era. What are you gonna say? Is, I thought know, this was about the Ottawa Senators. Not I know, about I know. The I'm just comparing because your boys, the Ottawa Senators, have a lot of young talent. There. We do, and that's what makes me so angry. That I want to see these guys perform together, and he continuously plays the vets. Like in Game Two, we had a horrible Game Two. Yeah. Derek Stefan taking stupid penalties in Game Three. You know, Watson not playing the penalty kill the way he sh- that he always has been. It's and confusing. he puts those guys out there in the last two minutes of the game. It, it mind boggles me, and it, we just need to cut that crap out. It's funny because um, you put – see, if it was a situation where you guys needed to make the playoffs or, you know, it was it was do or die, I mean, still really early in the season. Yeah. And I mean, every game counts. I get it. But you're in a situation where the team is not expected to do well because of what you have. Yeah. And what you have is a core group of young players who need that time and that experience, but you're not giving them that experience. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have these vets in our lineup like Watson and Derek Stefan and But the Anisimov. guys like Watson but, and Stefan But they shouldn't be playing. They they sh- no, they as shouldn't much be playing the young, when they it, make the yeah. mistakes that they make. And he owned his mistake, Derek Stefan. He came out with an interview saying this was my fault. I, sh- I took a stupid well, as penalty. Well, he should be because you know, and that's Stephon fine, is, but you know what? Yeah. You're, 
if I was a coach, you're bench next game. Absolutely. I don't I don't care. That Absolutely. was that was stupid and it was ridiculous. Yeah. Some positives. Zaitsev has oh five God. points in five games. I think he's a plus he's been on five fire. or a plus yeah. six or something. It's interesting because Zaitsev was never really he didn't stand out for us, but we saw him as someone that could have contributed to the team a little bit more, not so much offensively, but defensively as well. And it just felt like he didn't fit well with our team and what we were, what we needed to do. So now that he's at a place like Ottawa, where again they're not expected to do so well, so he's he's got less pressure on him, and he's showing what he can do at the NHL level, and he's playing great. He's performing really yeah. well. Yeah, I like his style of play too. Mm-hmm. Against Shabbat, they keep mm-hmm. switching back and forth. Yeah, uh, another positive, Galchenyuk. He scored his first scored goal. His it was a rocket. Goal. Yeah, he scored a nice goal. Very and, nice. And Galchenyuk is showing that he should be staying. He in the needs league. to be in the lineup constantly. I, I think, especially for this team. Now, Galchenyuk has been moved around quite often. Yep. Um, I thought he showed a lot of potential when he was with Montreal, but obviously he kind of fell off a little bit. And since then, he hasn't really picked it up. So, coming to a team where there's literally there shouldn't be a lot of pressure. I think this is a good opportunity for him to really get his game back. And he showed signs of it. And I think if you let him play his game, make mistakes. I mean... It happens. It happens. And you look at your guys like Watson and Stepan, they're making mistakes too, but they also know what their role is on the team. They're they're probably not going to be here in four or five years, but those younger guys are. And you can't keep taking Galchenyuk... In and out of the lineup. You can't keep doing that. No, that's something it's you gonna, do with a first-year player, yeah. not this guy. So that stuff, cut it out, DJ Smith. Yeah, I think he's getting a little too power-hungry yeah, and stuff it, like that. Cut it out. If, if I was in DJ Smith's shoes in terms of a coaching aspect, um, but granted, as a coach, you want to win because who is always the first to go? The coach. The coach. I think a lot of Ottawa Senators fans and analysts, if you will, would be happy with DJ Smith allowing his young players to play. Because if they make mistakes, that's not on the coach. That's on the player. Right. Because they're young and they're going to make the mistakes. Now, you're going to get those odd fans or, or, or those reporters that are just looking to add fuel to the fire and say, well, why is he throwing those young guys out there? Well, the reality is he's throwing them out there in order to get them used to NHL play and how it is, how it, what it takes to win and succeed in the NHL. But he, it's a 56-game season. Yep. And you know what? Just let the kids play. You know yep. you're not going to make that playoff spot. Mm-hmm. Make This is your time to learn as players and develop as players. And I think another thing to note is that if you have that less pressure where you're not really expected to make the playoff spot, and it's not saying you go in the room and say, guys, we're not expected to make the playoffs, so... No, yeah. You know, no, you still want to win. That's yeah. still the, But having that lessened expectation because of where the team is at as a whole you don't have as much pressure for those players to really worry about making the mistakes the more you worry about making the mistakes the more mistakes you're this guy's not even playing colin white Which he's is not even playing him too. free colin white we're yeah. gonna start that hashtag <laughs> colin white, yeah start that with your sens army nation guys my with my sense nation i know i think it's already been started but you know what make the guy play you he keep taking him out of the lineup. In and out of the lineup. What are I you have doing? One more thing to add. Go ahead. Where has Dandenong been? He did score. He did. He did. He finally ah, he, he did, played yeah. an excellent yeah. game. Yeah. On Saturday. Good. Very very good. It's good to see. I mean, he's a good player. So, 
he can still contribute to that team a few years down the road where he can be one of the main guys right. when the team begins to make that push. He is slowly adjusting. He's looking better every game. So we'll see what happens against a series against Vancouver. We need a, we need a big W here. I, I have a feeling Vancouver... Well, Vancouver, I feel like, is in shambles right now. We're, we both are. You both are, but it was less... There's more pressure on Vancouver. So if there was ever a time for Ottawa to take advantage of a situation, it's against the Canucks right now. And we said it on our first episode, or second episode, too, talking about the Battle of Ontario. Ottawa showed a lot of poise and a lot of reason why the North Division should be watching out for them if they play the way that they did. Yeah. But now they're not really seen as that because of the egg that they laid in those few games against the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah. So maybe that's reality. But you are in control of your reality, Ottawa Senators. You have the chance to change that as either players or coaching staff or what have you. Last positive note, Timmy draws back into the lineup. So happy to see him back. Stutzla. Stutzla, baby. So we'll see how he performs against Vancouver. I am. Uh, that's one bright spot for the Ottawa Senators. I'm. I'm really looking forward to having Tim Stutzla shine in this league, and he really shined in the World Juniors. He has the potential to be a top forward on your team. He 100%. obviously has the skill. I, I I was listening to him being drawn back in the lineup on Monday night, and Connor Brown had mentioned that he won the Timmy sweepstakes because yeah. now he's playing with him. <laughs> When, when you have guys talking about a young player like that, he's obviously something special. And it gets you excited. It gets the fan base and it, excited. And it gets the fan base excited. I mean, for the Ottawa Senators to have a player like that, they haven't had an offensive threat in in a long while. You can argue Kachuk's an offensive threat, but he's not really that. He's more of an all-around player where Timmy's going to be your skill guy. Timmy's going to be the guy who skates down the boards, rips a shot top corner, Timmy Stutzla is your future, and he should be in the lineup as much as possible. Watch out, Lee fans. Oh, wow. Timmy Stutzla. <laughs> We're going to end off the Ottawa Senators segment of the Battle of Ontario. Lish, you're going to give me your coaching expertise now, Lish. If you were behind the bench of the Ottawa Senators as the first female coach in NHL history. It's going to happen one day, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> what, were your, what would your Ottawa Senators lineup look like if you had the power? All right, so my forwards, we got Bree on the left wing, Stutzla in center, Ooh, and Batherson one. playing the right wing. Big fan of Batherson. I like that guy. Love him. He reminds me of like a Jason Spezza. Uh, we got Galchenyuk on the left wing, Norris center, Dandenoff playing on the right. I like having, uh, I like having Norris play with a few vet-like players because... He's gonna, he could be a, a very good center in the NHL. Trust me, I like him with Brady and Batherson, but I think giving him more talent and more leadership yeah, so, will help his game as well. Yeah, and he's second line, so he's not that first line center. He gives him a little less pressure, but still has that responsibility. Then I want to see Paul Tenier, uh, Tierney and Connor Brown. That line has been playing really well for Ottawa. That line could be the best, one of the best third lines in the NHL. Yeah. And, I, and I sincerely mean that because... Nick Paul is a grinder. He is a very good player. And Chris Tierney is becoming a bona fide third-line center. And Connor Brown, as we Lee fans know, is Connor Brown. The guy is a beast on the ice. These guys are your third line. They're not expected to score goals. But they'll score a goal here and there. They are expected to tire out your first and second line. 
so that you can get your scoring lines ready to score some goals to give your team a better chance to win. If those guys are playing to the best of their ability, they're a very dangerous third line in the NHL. I don't care what anyone says. Third line is a crucial part of your team. Okay, we, we always focus on the offense, but we need to focus on team defense as well. And that third line is very, very good when they're playing to the best of their potential. And the fourth line, we have Watson, Derek Stefan, and then Colin White on the right wing. So I want to push him over to the wing. There is a vet fourth line, yeah. which I like. I like you guys having those three at the bottom. Stefan is a more of an offensive center. However... You know he's he's not really performing that he to the best of his ability. I think he's past his prime, the prime that he had in New York when New York made their Stanley Cup yeah. run in I believe 2014. He was one of the top players on that team, but he's no longer that player. Uh, he didn't do much in Arizona at all, and now he's a role guy for your younger team and a team like Ottawa. So he would fit on that fourth line. Oh, pretty for well. sure. And then our defense, quick pairing: we have Shabbat Zaitsev, Wolanin, Goodbranson, Brandstrom. Jay Brown, Zub, and Colburn. Mm, okay, so you got that Zub. I mixed Colburn. it up a little bit here. You got that Zub Colburn as your. I want to uh, see Branson play for sure. Yeah, and but that's what we're talking about. We're talking about these guys getting in right away. Throw them in the fire. I mean, you got nothing to lose this year. I mean, it's not like you're throwing them in situations where you are expected to win and and make the playoffs and make a run at the cup. You're not. So throw these guys in 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 the game. Let them work. And your goaltending, Matt Murray, is you can't really ask for anything more. He's he's a two-time Stanley Cup champion. He's, he's been playing, playing well. well. Um, you just don't want to overwork him to the point where... A couple might... soft goals here and there, but yeah. you know what? That happens. That happens. And when you don't have the strongest of D, team defense, I'd say, um, it'll happen. Yeah. So we're going to shift gears. Uh, thank you, Lish, for your Ottawa Senators report. We're going to shift gears and talk about... The Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh, my God. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs had a pretty good stretch from the from our last recording up until this recording. Uh, they won a few games and did lose one. They won uh, against Edmonton and Calgary, won each. But they did lose against Edmonton on the Wednesday night, 3-1. to one. They also lost a valuable member of their team in Joe Thornton. He has fractured a rib. He is out at least a month. Yes, Lish. His bones are pretty brittle. Yeah, he's brittle. He's old. He's 41 years old. I know, I know. It's hard <laughs> to see him go down because it was so exciting to have Jumbo Joe in the lineup and giving the young guys what they need in terms of leadership and a bit of skill on the ice, even though he is 41. At first, it looked like he actually fractured his wrist or did something with his wrist because he, like he, he was holding, holding it wrist. yeah it was it was a little bit interesting to see that so i don't know if you guys have been following our our little bet that we have going on with our lineup me and lish made a friendly bet where if joe thornton was able to stay on the top line with matthews and marner for at least a month then lish would have to wear a leaf jersey for a week but if he was taken off of the first line Within that month, then I would have to wear a very ugly Ottawa Senators jersey. <laughs> Actually, the Ottawa Senators are really nice, but just wearing their colors, so I wouldn't be able to. So that bet's on hold. Well, that bet has to be on hold because it's officially not. He's off the line because he's not playing, right. and the part of the bet is that he stays on the line or stays. He's playing, 
but he's taken off the top line. So we'll put that bet on hold. One of our ongoing issues with the team is not only our defensemen, but our team de- defense. And I think that's more, I think that's a bigger issue than the defensemen is our team defense. And I think Sheldon Keefe has been focusing on that a little more because they're not scoring five or six goals. I was speaking to some of my close friends who are as big Lee fans as I am, and we mentioned that when's the last time you saw a 5 nothing or 6 nothing Leaf win? It never really happens anymore. Nope. They are either winning games 5-4 or 6-5, or they're winning 3-1, 3-2, 3-2, 2-1, whatever it is. This is what I like moving forward about this team is that you're focusing more on team defense because you know the goals will come. You shouldn't be focusing on scoring as much because you're already an offensive team. Those goals are going to come. Matthews, Marner, Tavares. Those guys are going to score for you. Your defense needs work. Your team defense needs work. You leave Freddie out to dry for 30, 40 shots a night, you're going to lose in the long run. Look at that Ottawa game. Shots were 40 to 19. They were able to succeed because they peppered the Ottawa Senators with enough shots that eventually the ones that needed to go in went in, and they prevented them from getting as many chances as they should have had. That game's in the past. We're not bringing it up anymore. I just did. So too <laughs> bad. Uh, one of the things that I liked from this Thornton situation was that they had to bring up a few players. This is where the taxi co- squad carousel comes into play, where you're rotating players in and out and seeing who can fit. We have a player like Pierre Engvall, and I have said this from the beginning. I want to see Pierre Engvall utilize more. He is a hard-nosed player. He is a fast player. He might not be the most skilled player, but I feel like he's someone you need to have. You have enough skill in the team. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And he doesn't need to bring any more skill. No. I don't need a third line that can score goals. I need a third line to shut down other teams and to forecheck entire defensemen out so that when my first line gets out there, they have a better opportunity to score. I agree with you 100%. So Jimmy Vc really worries me because he's still kind of trying to find his footing with the team. Very rarely he does show signs where he belongs on the first or second line i think he belongs in a third line position where he plays with an out with a alex kerfoot and maybe maybe when nick robinson comes back you could throw those three together i would push him down to the fourth line he seems like a guy that when he's getting when he's at his high he goes to low it's like one of those graphs i know i don't think he can uh i don't think he can handle being on the first fourth. i think there's still a lot of pressure on this guy Uh, But we'll see. I mean, again, still early in the season. Still too early to tell. Uh, For the defensemen, not much has changed. I mean, Dermot, Bogosian, and Lettinen are all being thrown around. One thing that really troubled me during that Edmonton Oilers loss was I was reading the ice time for each Leaf defenseman. Morgan Riley had 25-plus minutes of ice time. That's That's a a lot. I know you're the top defenseman on your team. Why play him that much? I don't understand that. You have guys like Muzzin and Hall. Hall's having a, a great great year. I mean, he's... I think he's, he's doing, one of your best Ds right he's now. He's one of our, our most consistent D-men. Um, he's got great hair. He's able to <laughs> he's able to block the shots. He's, I don't know what this team. They all grew out their hair. It looks great. He's able to block shots. He's able to get the puck out when he needs to. He's, he's using his body more than he did last year. He's a big guy. And I think playing with Muzzin helps with that as well. Muzzin at times, I think, looks 
a little bit lost. I mean, when you notice... A little? Well, when you notice Muzzin, it's not always the best thing. But when you don't notice him, it means he's doing his job. So I'll give Muzzin the benefit of the doubt because he's an absolute beauty. And then you get to your third pairing where you have Dermot, Bogosian, or Lettinen, any combination of those three. My issue with this whole thing is why is Lettinen not being put in the lineup on a daily basis? You got him from the KHL. He was this all-star KHL player. Give him a chance to get in there and work. Like I said from that Edmonton Oilers game, Riley had 25 minutes. You had Lettinen in the lineup during that Edmonton Oilers game. He was one of the defensemen that had less than 10 minutes of ice time. How did he play? He played decent. I mean, it's it's hard to see what he can do when he's only playing when he's playing less than ten minutes. Play him a little bit more. Don't play Riley twenty five minutes. You don't need to. Yeah. You're gonna tire the guy out. Oh, he can handle it. Yeah, but he doesn't need to play that much. He can handle it, but it might cost you a mistake, and which can lead to a goal, which yeah. has happened before. And even Leafs. worse, it could lead to an injury that you cannot afford that. with a guy like that. So I would like to see a little more movement in the defensive core, a little more balance in terms of the ice time. Brody and Riley, Brody, I have to say, has kind of uh, found his groove a little bit, as opposed to last week being Chucha of the week last week. <laughs> uh, he has able to find his position here on this team, and um, I think moving forward, I just would like to see a little more balance with the defenseman. Question for you, Dave. Ask away. Has Austin Matthews played the penalty kill for the Leafs at all since coming Mitch back? Mitch Marner has played more. I was going to say, this guy's blocking shots left and right. But, but And if he gets injured, then what are you going to do? I don't... You I don't know understand what? why he's playing that no, position. No, because I like the way Matthews is playing because I think he's playing with a chip on his shoulder because he's hearing too much that he is this pretty boy player. You know, we see him off the ice. He's this fashion icon. Can't stand him. Fashion <laughs> icon? Give me a break. He wants to be anyway. <laughs> and um, I think now he's understanding that he needs to be a two-way player because he is the number one center on this team, he's playing a lot better defensively. He's mucking it up in the corner. Your number one guy shouldn't be mixing it up with the tough guys of the other team, which you've seen in a few games. He has thrown a few cross-checks here and there. From game one up until this game, up until now, Austin Matthews has been playing harder, and I love it. I love seeing it because it toughens it's them up. It's about time. It gets them ready for the playoffs. Pretty boy. Too. Now, you're not going to see that from Marner because Marner is... He's a delicate, he's a, I call he's him. He's a delicate. He's a, he's a pipsqueak. So <laughs> let him let him work his magic with his hands. But seeing Matthews muck it up in there, I love seeing it. He's still got one of the greatest shots in the league. So he's going to score the goals. I know we're worried about him not scoring goals. But going back to my point of playing deep, team defense, maybe that's why he's not scoring goals. And I am on board with it. Because when he needs to score goals, he's going to. But focus on that team defense because that's what this team needs. They need that team defense. All right, Dave. We all know that you're going to be a coach in a couple of years for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Very excited for that part of my life. Great opportunity for you. I want to hear your potential lineups that you want to see. Not your potential lineups, your ideal lineups. My ideal lineups. So this is given that everyone on the Leafs roster is healthy. Um, so that will include Thornton and will include Robinson. Uh, I thought really hard about taking Thornton off that top line. I just don't see him being placed in any other position online where he can make a difference. So I'm going to leave Thornton on that top line with Matthews and Marner. 
My second line, I'm going to have John Tavares. I'm going to have Willie Nylander. And I'm going to have Zach Hyman there as well. I think that's your best line right there. That is a, a good representation of the first line from last year and years prior. Instead, you have Matthews, Nylander, and Hyman. But now that you have Tavares there, it's, it's a very similar line. Hyman is your most complete player on this team. Okay, he's not going to score. He's a terrible finisher in terms of goals, <laughs> but he attacks and he gets that puck and he gets it to the players that know what to do with it. So getting Hyman on that second line with Tavares and Nylander, I absolutely love. Here's where it gets interesting for me. On the third line, you cannot move Alexander Kerfoot from the third line. No. Okay, you pay him the money that you pay him. He's got to be on that third line. Here's where I think Jimmy VC slots in there very comfortably. Because putting him on the first or second line, VC, I feel that he's expected to do more. A lot of people may forget that during his Hobie Baker winning seasons, or nominated seasons, he won one year and was nominated for the for the next. He his center teammate, his centerman on his line for those years was none other than Alex Kerfoot. So they have played together before. Maybe that familiarity. So there's some chemistry there. Maybe it that could chemistry be. Re, re, regrows there, and they're able to uh, uh, create some magic that they had during those years in college hockey. And on the other side of the wing, you want to add to that youthful speed, put Nick Robinson there. Give me VC Kerfoot and Robinson. Speed I right there. I think you can surprise some teams as a third line like that. And to round it off, you got a couple of couple of vets with a younger guy who plays like a vet. You got Pierre Engvall in the middle of Spezza and Simmons. Now, I know people are thinking, well, Spezza wins draws. He can win the draw and go to the wing. Yeah. But at the end of the day, Engvall is your workhorse guy. He's your speed guy. Then you have Simmons, who's also a workhorse in his own way. And you got Spezza, who's just an all-around vet. So that could be a very deadly fourth line as well. So that's what I would like to see as your four lines for the Toronto Maple Leaf forwards. Not bad. I'll give it a three out of five stars for three that. Three out of five stars. <laughs> what kind of a rating is that? For the defensemen, not much has changed. Riley and Brody are a good one, too. Muzzin and Hall are a good three, four. Here's where it gets interesting. Like I said before, you have Lettinen. Let that guy play. He should be in there three quarters of the season. In the lineup. You can cycle him out here and there, but give that guy time to play. The sixth player that I want to put in there is a bit of a controversial move because he is a very young player. But I think over the last year or two, he has proven himself that he belongs in the NHL. Get Rasmus Sandin in the lineup. This is he the is, only thing I'm going to agree with you. He is such a good player. He has the potential yeah. to be a very good defenseman. Get him working early. Now, what about Bogosian? Yeah. Bogosian isn't known, isn't going to be expected to play every game this season. He's older. He's a bit it's a bit fragile, I would say. But you can cycle Sandine and Lettinen in and out with Bogosian. Dermot's the odd guy out. I mean, he's had his chance. I honestly don't want to see Dermot anymore. He hasn't really, when he first came on the team, he had potential. And then over the years... I think with he, his injuries too, Dave. And I, but at the same time, he's had all the opportunity possible yeah. and he hasn't taken advantage. He's been on the team longer than Hall and Hall was bumped up to the second pairing. Is Sandin on your taxi squad? Uh, yeah, Sandin is, he is on the taxi squad. You have him there and give him the opportunity to perform. 
All right, now we like to end off the episode with Chooch of the Week. New segment, Chooch of the Week. I love this segment. So if you guys don't know what a chooch is, it's basically an Italian slang for donkey or person (laughs) without common sense. So, so far we had Anthony Duclair representing himself and receiving less money. We had Evander Kane with the filing for bankruptcy. And then we had TJ Brody for his poor play against Senators. Now, we casted a vote on all of our social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, saying who you guys thought Chooch of the Week was. And we got a couple. We did get a few options for Chooch of the Week. We had uh, Dubois in there. We had DJ Smith. But there was one that did get a lot of hits. Dave, do you want to take this one away? Yeah, this one was a bit of a late entry. This snuck in there, and and this landed as Chooch of the Week. You saw someone that you haven't seen in NHL news for a while since he was let go from his job. That coach is none other than former Maple Leafs coach Mike Babcock. He is the Chooch of the Week. Before he got into his new career as a sports analyst on the NHL on NBC, was asked about one of the more controversial decisions that got him fired from his job as a Toronto Maple Leafs coach. Now, it's not the reason that he got fired, but it's probably a good enough reason to think about firing him, which is what they did. I'm talking, of course, about the Mitch Marner situation. Now, a lot of you may not know about the situation. Some of you may know. Basically, as the story goes, when Mitch Marner was here with the Leafs for his rookie season, Mike Babcock, who is known to have some controversial coaching strategies or motivational techniques to get his players thinking about what it takes to be an NHL pro. And one of the things he did with Mitch Marner was that he called him into his office one day and he asked him to rank his work ethic in comparison with the rest of the team. This was written on a piece of paper and it was left on Babcock's desk a veteran player came to speak with Babcock and saw this on his desk and questioned Babcock about it, and Babcock told him what it was. Babcock says in this explanation that he regrets doing that because then he had to go explain to the team why he was doing that. And he said that it was a way to motivate these young players coming into the league, what it takes to be an NHL pro because he has these young guys like Matthews and Marner and Nylander and they need to know what it takes to be a pro. What the hell kind of a coaching strategy is it to tell a young guy to rank the players what he thinks their work ethic is in compared to them? So putting him on the spot as a young player, obviously this young player is going to do whatever he can in order to find his spot on the team he goes ahead and does it immediately when the veterans saw that mike babcock says that he regretted his decision why the hell are you doing that in the first place listen that whole situation last year or was it two years ago whenever it was it was when marner was a rookie is when he did this it was a shit show it should have never happened it should never got leaked out i think the players just wanted him gone at that point that push to the media i mean you did you did a thing where you you created a bit of stir in your own locker room. It's horrible. You don't you never want to see that. That's but now I want to know why he deserves Chooch of the Week. Because what he said on NBC or the whole situation overall? Because well, we don't want to bring up something from two okay, years ago. Okay, so him getting Chooch of the Week is that he had a chance to actually explain himself, to explain why he did what he did. 
And his answer was that he regretted what he did. Here he is explaining, oh, I've been a coach for 34 years. I've coached the best players all around the league, gold medals, Stanley Cups, what have you. You still did a dumb thing. And you're admitting how dumb it was. You had an opportunity to coming out when you got fired to say, yeah, you know what? That's true. I shouldn't have done that. But what? You waited till you're on this platform, NHL on NBC. A year later. A year later, two years later, whatever it was. It's ridiculous. And right then and there, I feel like you lost the room. It was an uphill battle for you. And you have no one else but yourself to blame. He's a chooch for making constant, constant, egocentric decisions. So overall, where Dave is getting at, he was just not happy that Babcock did not explain himself why he did those things. He just And said, the fact that he did it. Yeah. He was, he was just explaining and saying he was sorry about the situation. And I'm not alone on this. A lot of people think he's a, he's a chooch. And that's why Mike Babcock is don't, our chooch of the week for episode five. And don't forget, we'll be labeling chooch of the week every episode so stay tuned for details on our social media accounts we'll be posting uh who you think your shooter of the week is and we want to hear from you guys you can follow us on twitter at battle of on pod you can follow us on instagram at battle of ontario and you can also follow us on facebook battle of ontario podcast battle of ontario podcast. oh yeah yeah so I think that's going to do it for us for this episode. Once again, we want to thank you for joining us. Uh, please stay tuned for next week's episode. Should be very interesting. Thanks for everyone for tuning in. Have a great night. Stay safe and go Sens. Go, baby. Yeah, yeah. Go, Lee's. Go. Let's go.